When life as you know it is flipped upside down, we struggle to make sense of it all. Why would a good God allow this to happen? Hi, I'm Sherry Pilkington, your host of Finding God in Our Pain. In early 2018, the deepest questions of my life erupted when I unexpectedly lost my husband of 32 years. Since then, I've searched the heart of God for what he has to say about pain and suffering. In this podcast, we'll discover how God enters into our pain, shepherds us through our darkest valley, and out into the green pastures once again. I'll bring you firsthand stories from women who will allow us into their authentic struggle, along with professional advice from experts, counselors, and others who can speak to what it looks like to navigate pain. Join me as we discover God's answers to the deepest cries of our shattered heart. You're going to enjoy my conversation with my Canadian guest, Kimberly Musalis. I say enjoy because if you're like me, you never get tired of hearing someone beat the odds. If anyone has a reason to never amount to much, Kimberly had the perfect childhood setup that ensures she would continue to struggle through life. An alcoholic mom, a father who was a pimp and a drug dealer, foster care, sexual abuse, definitely all the components of a life far less than what God had for her. In reflection of her life, she understands that God was pursuing her through it all. Since the moment she turned her heart toward God to where she is today, she's experienced four things that moved her through healing and into restoration, and she shares them with us. She continues to thrive in her life as she practices what she preaches. On her website, KimberlyMusalis.com, you'll find her signature course, Life More Abundantly. She has a strong passion to help others create abundance in the areas of emotional, physical, spiritual, and financial health, all areas that she has excelled in and continues to excel in. Let's get to the conversation so we can listen to what it takes to move from victim to victor. Welcome, Kimberly. Thank you for your time and your energy as my guest. I'm looking forward to sharing your story with my listeners because you have a beautiful transformation from chronic illness, stress, anxiety, abuse to where you are today. Let's ground your story with a little bit of background. So start us out with your family as a child or a young girl. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here and to be able to share this story because I want people to know that there is hope Mm -hmm. and that no matter where you come from, it doesn't dictate where you're able to go because God is so awesome. He can, he can totally open up new vistas and new opportunities. So I, I always say that I came from the wrong side of town, you know, like that part of town that nobody really wants to be in. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I grew up in Toronto, in Ontario, Canada. And my home seemed normal to me because it's all I knew. But as I reflect back, it was not normal. My mom was a single mom. She had five children. I mostly lived at home alone because there are seven years between or six plus years between me and the second youngest. And even though he was at home for periods of time, I don't remember a lot of those years. He left home really early. He was Mm -hmm. in correctional facilities as a teenager Mm -hmm. and my other, you know, siblings had left home early as well. So I I lived a lot of my life as a only child, but my mom as a single mom was under a lot of stress. And so she eventually became an alcoholic, mostly when she moved in with her boyfriend. Uh, The boyfriend was sexually abusive toward me. He was also an alcoholic and my mom was physically abusive in many ways. And that's on the, the home side. And then I would get reprieve from visiting my dad, my biological father. He didn't live with us. There's animosity between my mom and my dad. Mm-hmm. But he was the one that he did all the fun things with me. He would take me places. He would spend money on me that I didn't get because we're kind of poor. My dad though was a pimp and a bootlegger when it was illegal, when Mm -hmm. alcohol was illegal and he was a drug dealer. I really enjoyed being with him, but it was a really Mm -hmm. weird environment. (laughs) Very eclectic. I am sorry that the brokenness of this world would come into your life in that way because healing needs to take place. Did you have any idea of who God might be? You know, that's such a great question because my mom was brought up Catholic, but never really taught me anything about religion. And my dad was very anti-religion. He actually had a bumper sticker on his car. I remember it just said religion is bunk and he was very Mm -hmm. anti-religion. But I had a couple of things kind of in my life at various times 
my one sister who actually doesn't really have anything to do with Christianity now, but she uh, had a boyfriend who was Catholic and she married him. So she went through the Catholic training. And mm-hmm. so I got introduced to some Catholic materials through him and through her. Mm-hmm. And then on, on occasion, I would get invited to more uh, Protestant type church. So I remember attending a Bible study when I was a child one time with my friend, but I didn't really feel like I belonged. And then I mm-hmm. went to a kids program, I guess a Sunday school program. And I remember feeling very special because even though I wasn't part of their church, they had a book for me and that was a big deal. Mm-hmm. So they had a little book that I was working through that all the other kids had. So I enjoyed that experience. So just like little smatterings of things, but I, I had always had this awareness that there was God, Mm -hmm. even though I was never taught about him. Were you forming an opinion of God at that time or just the fact that you were still maybe at a distance? Well, you know, the funny thing is I think I was very in tune with God, but I didn't know anything about the Bible or about Jesus. In fact, it was kind of funny. I took a course because my husband is Greek and I met my husband when I was 15. He was a boyfriend. So I wanted to learn Greek. I went to university and they didn't really teach modern Greek, but they, they taught Old Testament Greek. And I remember translating a verse. I was really good at languages, but it was a test and I was translating this verse and it it didn't make any sense to me because when I translated it, it said, John the Baptist baptized Jesus. And I'm like, I must've got that wrong. That can't be right. Why would John the Baptist baptize Jesus? It should be the other way around. Like I had no concept of the Bible or anything, but I always believed that I was a Christian. I would have identified as a Christian, even though I was living a life that was not pleasing to God in many ways. I didn't know any better, but I I would have identified as a Christian. My boyfriend who then became my husband was kind of mocking religion and mocking Christianity. Um, And I I didn't like that. And I bought him a cross because I thought he needed it, you know? (laughs) So I had this concept of Christianity, but it wasn't until my brother started attending church that he invited me uh, to go to church with him. And it was Easter. And I thought, well, it's Easter. Easter is when you go to church, right? Easter and Christmas, those are the church days. (laughs) And so that was the first time I ever heard the gospel. I hear that a lot about, I would have identified as Christian, but I was not living a Christian lifestyle. I even went through that uh, period of uh, time in my life where I had accepted Christ, walked away from him, but would have still said I was a Christian, if you ask me, but was not living any sort of value system uh, of heaven. So I guess maybe that's part of the maturing process, do you think, as we grow in our understanding of who God is? Yeah. And I think the book of Romans says that we all have this knowledge of God and it says that we suppress Mm -hmm. the truth of God by our wickedness, right? We all have a God, you know, spot, I guess, inside of us. And we're all really in many ways looking for God, just some of us fill it with the wrong things or with the wrong God or, you know, off spirituality. But I think there's a sense in which all of us know but we like to make God in our image and we like him to be controllable and we like him to be like the Santa Claus in the sky, but there's no such thing as hell. And, And as long as I'm good, like when my brother started going to church, I thought, oh, that's good. He needs that. Like, I'm okay. I mean, I'm going to university, I'm getting married, but my brother, like he's really off. He really needs Mm -hmm. that. I didn't have a concept of my own sinfulness and that's where Holy Spirit is necessary, right? Because without Holy Spirit, we're blinded. Just hearing you say that reminded me of the how many times have I sat on the um, pew next to my husband and the pastor's given a sermon. I'm like, I hope you're listening, honey, because (laughs) this is for you. That is still a common thing that we feel like we're okay. Have you ever heard anybody say me and God have an understanding? Yeah. As if you can make an agreement with the living God. Yeah. The big guy in the sky, you know, I've heard all (laughs) kinds of things and it diminishes the glory of God because we we don't like to have an idea that there's this all powerful God who we're subject to. Mm -hmm. So we make him up. And I think that even comes back to Eve in the garden. Mm. She felt that God was withholding something good from her and she was going to fix that situation herself. How many times have I done that in my own way? I'll fix it myself because either the Lord has taken too long or he's not speaking and I'm asking. So let me just handle, I'll help you out, Lord. And God is still gracious. He's still kind. He's still patient as he's drawing us into that correction. Because I have gone out on my own, ended up with consequences that he never intended for me, but I didn't wait on him. Yeah. Yeah. So true. eh? When you think about going between your mom and dad's house, what was the most difficult thing for you? Was there a breaking point? Was there an identity crisis? What were you experiencing? Wow. Identity crisis. Yeah. That's, that's kind of like 
the hallmark over that era, that point of my life is that identity crisis. I didn't know who I was. I was just looking for affirmation, looking for acceptance, looking for belonging and not really feeling like I belonged anywhere, frankly. When I was at my mom's house, that's where I was the majority of my time. And she wasn't fun. She was kind of mean. But the truth is, you know, as an adult, looking back, I can see she's the one that put food on the table. She's the one that took care of me. So with, with good uh, reason, she maybe had some bitterness, frustration, anger, like all of the things that would come with being a single mom to five kids. I kind of looked at her situation as being like not ideal because it wasn't very fun there. And there was a lot of rules and she was angry and blah, blah, blah. But then when I went to my dad, he was more fun loving, but but he always put my mom down. Mm -hmm. And so it put me in this situation of having to choose when I'm with my mom, having to not acknowledge that I liked being with my dad. And then when I'm with my dad, kind of having to play the, the role of poking, poking holes in my mom. And it was, it just was very uncomfortable. It was an identity crisis in the sense, was I a poor kid or was I a rich kid? Because, you know, (laughs) when I was with my mom, mostly I was poor. And then I'm with my dad and and we're going to like fancy restaurants and we're going to plays and he bought me things and now I was a rich kid. (laughs) So very confusing. Was there a time that you came to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and, and asked him to be your personal savior? Oh yeah, absolutely. So that day when I went to my brother's church on that Easter day, I really did hear the gospel message for the first time. And I remember hearing the words that the pastor spoke and he said, you know, imagine that there was a screen behind me and on that screen, everything that you've ever done was Mm -hmm. displayed for all to see. And I'm like, God, no, no, thank you. You know, like, I do not want that. And he's like, well, that's what God sees all the time. Then he explained that Jesus died from it. And it was the only time I'd ever heard the gospel message. I never had heard it before. I never understood Jesus dying. And why did he have to die? And I, I didn't know any of that. I just knew that there was this guy named Jesus and I I had a picture of him and he looked nice. And I, I was a Christian because I wasn't Catholic or Mormon and I wasn't Muslim. And so I must be Christian, right? Mm-hmm. So I figured that day that I had better spend some time paying attention to this message. And something switched in my heart almost immediately. And I started listening to songs and the songs would be in my heart. One of the very first songs I ever learned from going to church was holy, holy, holy. Mm. And I really loved it. And I kept singing it over and over again. It was just like this beautiful hymn that I kept singing. And it was the only song I had. I had the words to it. So I kept singing. (laughs) And then slowly, uh, I just started getting introduced to that community. And they showed me this video of Jan Hus and how he had cried out these words, Jesus, son of David, had mercy on me. And I remember driving down Young Street, doing our normal Saturday night trip down Young Street, which is kind of like, you know, like the Las Vegas strip mm, of, okay. of Toronto. It's not nearly as exciting as that. Driving down and and all I could think about was looking out the window and thinking, well, if I was to die tomorrow, like if we were to get into an accident, that wouldn't be the end of me. Like, I don't think that would be the end of me and and just starting to contemplate this. And then I remember having those words go through my head, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And I just kept Mm -hmm. saying that, but that was the time when I, I know that that something changed in my heart. That's the key right there is that change turning Mm -hmm. from where we were going and heading toward God. When you were talking about the song that you had, holy, 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 do you ever recall a time when that song came back to you in a moment when you were like, Lord, I need encouragement. Yeah. There's, there's been a lot of hymns that have been like that rock of ages, you know, cleft mm-hmm. for me. That was the one that really spoke to my heart shortly after that time. And that was one that, that um, came back over and over again when I felt kind of needing somebody and feeling alone was this idea that God had me protected and sheltered. And so Rock of Ages was one that I sang a lot as well. So I would say that one came to my mind more as a refuge place in the future. Those hymns are so beautiful and they have Mm -hmm. such truth. So there's always um, a time when they can impact you. I can't remember exactly what the lyrics are to either one of those, but it's scripture that we are becoming familiar with. And I learned best by music. So you come to the knowledge of who Christ is and you receive him by this changing in your heart and the acknowledgement that the word that you spoke. Now the maturing process starts. He begins to draw you into who you are. So he's calling you out of who you used to be and calling you into who he created you to be. 
was there ever a time when you're thinking, wow, these survival skills that I learned at home are not working for me? It's not just a one moment thing, but it's going from glory to glory. Literally, mm-hmm. one of the times that really strikes me as being kind of pivotal in my journey to where I am today was a, a message that I heard when I was in church and the pastor at the time was talking about a victim mindset and how people have developed a victim mindset. And he talked about what that was and how we're not victims. And, and I remember thinking to myself, I think I've been developing a victim mindset. I kind of look at myself as being a victim. And of course there was good reason for that. I mean, I had gone through a lot of abuse. I had been taken out of my home and put into a foster care system Mm. and the foster care home was not very kind to me. And I had to leave there and I had to go from one place to another, to another and no support through university. So like all of these things were good reasons to look at myself as being a victim. But I recognized at that moment that God's grace had also been with me and that it was going to be important what I focused on. And was I going to highlight the times when people had been abusive or was I going to highlight the grace of God and the strength of God to carry me through all of those, those periods of time. And so that's what I started doing is starting to go on a journey of healing to understand who God made me to be and the strength that he put inside of me, the tools that he gave me to Mm -hmm. overcome. And it's been a phenomenal journey. I'm so grateful for it. It sounds like it's a personal choice of saying, I'm not going to dwell on what has happened, but I'm going to look to what I have in the future. Would you say that's the shift? Yeah. The Bible verse that came to my mind was forget the former things. We can, we can either look back and learn from it and use that as experience to propel us forward or we look back and we stay looking back. And I, and I like to picture it like if you're driving a car, if you're driving a car once in a while, it's useful to look in the rear view mirror to see what's behind you so that you can make adjustments for going forward. But okay. if you're constantly looking in the rear view mirror, you're going to crash if you're not looking forward. And so we're meant to learn from our past, but we're not meant to stay in the past. We're meant to, you know, we've had the experiences, but the experiences do not define us. And they Mm -hmm. don't tell us anything about what's possible for the future. When it comes to healing, because like you said, it's not like you were creating some scenario that you could then believe that you were a victim. You had genuine experiences that Mm -hmm. have impacted you in a way that you legitimately felt like a victim, but you have this choice to stay in that victimization or to move out of that. What is the healing process? Like you can't leave the healing behind or can you? I mean, God does supernatural things, Mm -hmm. but how do you heal in order to move forward? What does that look like? That's, that's such a huge question. And so I would say that I've done a lot of healing, a lot of different um, modalities to help me to work through things. And one of the kind of best ways I could describe it is that there's four keys to moving forward into healing. The first one is not surprisingly forgiveness. You know, forgiveness really does two things. First of all, it helps you to look at what's happened. So you've got a situation that happened in the past. You're acknowledging that that was a bad thing. And sometimes the reason we don't want to forgive or the reason we keep coming back to a situation is we almost want somebody to say that was bad, right? Like what happened to you was not right. And once we are in that place of acknowledging, okay, that wasn't right. Well, then we have a choice. We can either demand repayment for what has been taken from us, or we can forgive and we can release the debt. But the important thing to remember about the process of forgiveness is number one, you're acknowledging that this bad thing happened, which really helps you psychologically, Mm -hmm. because you're, you're not denying, you're not pushing it, you're not suppressing it. You know, you're, you're looking right at it. You're acknowledging that there's a debt, and then you're choosing to release that person from the debt. And that whole process really does amazing things to your heart. We, we tend to think that we get power by hanging on to these things that have happened and, you know, refusing to forgive. But once we understand the power that comes from forgiving, amazing things can happen. I mean, there's a reason why Jesus said, if you, if you don't forgive, you'll be handed over to the tormentors. And he doesn't even do that handing over. We hand ourselves over to the tormentors when we don't forgive. 
Mm. That's a good point because there's a lot of tormenting and unforgiveness, whether we believe it or not, or whether we make the connection or not, I should say. Yeah. Physical and psychological, mental, spiritual, emotional, all of them, right? Why do you think Satan attaches to our traumas? What is he trying to destroy? So that's interesting because he's trying to destroy us. He's trying to destroy our destiny. He hates us, right? We're, mm-hmm. we're made in the image of God. And there's, you know, I love the book of Revelation and the kind of the quintessential middle of Revelation kind of stops and, and talks about this battle between the woman and the child that she gives birth to, which is the church. Mm-hmm. And then this dragon that comes after, and he's, he's like focused on destroying the church. He's focused on destroying what God is raising up as his sons and daughters. And that, that is the battle. And once we get that in mind, then we're not surprised with a lot of the evil that happens in the world. It's like, well, we do have an enemy. We shouldn't be surprised that these things are coming against us, but we should also know that we have tools to fight that enemy. We're not powerless. So that's ultimately what he's at, but he, he tries to get at us through our hearts, right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of going to go on to part number two of the healing process. And that is what I would call UGBs. So UGBs are ungodly beliefs, UGB an mm-hmm. ungodly belief. So we have an experience, something bad. I'll give an example. So sexual abuse, clear example, I needed to work through forgiving the person that sexually abused me. So that's clear. I had to do that by the way the other element of forgiving is breaking off of judgments. Sometimes people don't complete the process of forgiving and they hang on to judgments that they made. So you have to break off judgments. That's important because you reap what you sow. So that's part of that. And there's freedom in that too, as far as getting out of that judgment seat, there's a lot of pressure and a lot of weight that's released uh, when you decide to step down. So huge. Oh yeah, absolutely. When you take yourself out of the position of having to decide whether someone's good or bad or evil or whatever, and you just recognize, well, they're broken and I don't know their journey. I don't know their story and I'll leave it to God to judge. Mm-hmm. It's a lot lighter. <laughs> I agree. Cause then you can stand in freedom for yourself as far as judgment goes, because if we step out of that place of judgment and let God judge, he will also fairly judge us. And I would rather leave my judging to be done by God than man any day. Cause oh, yeah. I trust God to be kind and gentle and fair uh, and fair. Yeah. Yeah. He knows yep. all the facts, right? So yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Yeah. But the second step like is the Uggbies because now the sexual abuse happens. What beliefs did I, did I take on to myself as a result of that? You know, and in my own journey, it was like, well, you know, it doesn't matter whether I say no, So what's the sense of saying no? So I had really bad boundaries, right? Because what's the sense of saying no? It doesn't work. So then anybody can infiltrate my boundaries. So I had to do healing in the area of boundaries. So that's an example, or I deserve it because there's something inherently wrong with me. Uh, Maybe I'm sleazy or maybe I'm, you know, whatever. So you can develop bad bad understandings about who you are. Mm -hmm. You can develop bad understandings about men. So men are not trustworthy. Men are pigs, men are whatever. Right. So like all of these are ungodly beliefs. So you have to analyze out of that circumstance that required forgiveness, what beliefs did I develop? And then you have to take ownership of it because nobody told you to believe that or or forced you to believe that you chose to believe that. And the good news is when you take ownership of that, you can also choose to release those beliefs and to reject them and to replace them with helpful beliefs. Do you think that's where you come out of the victim when you take responsibility and you've come out of the victim situation? Like nobody can put these things on you to make you believe a certain thing. Talk to me about that. freedom. Absolutely. And even the process of forgiveness starts to transition you from victim to victor because Mm -hmm. you are forgiving the person. So now who's in the driver's seat? You are Mm -hmm. because you're releasing that person. They don't owe you anything. You know, you're letting the debt go, but you're also asking for forgiveness for yourself for making judgments about that person. Or maybe, you know, how did you think about God as a result of that situation? Well, where were you, God? Why didn't you Mm -hmm. stand up for me? And, you know, so you're acknowledging that you may have had a part in it. And maybe if you've been in an abusive situation where you actually had a choice to leave and you chose to stay, you can forgive yourself for choosing to stay. 
And then now there's no shame. There's no condemnation. You're just acknowledging, Hey, that was a bad choice. And I'm not going to do that again. Right. Right. And so there's power in all of that. And then definitely power in believing that you can change your belief cycle. You can change what you chose to believe about a situation and you can redefine who you are and give yourself like new labels. I'm Mm -hmm. loved. I'm accepted. I am, you know, chosen. And so you go through those definitions of who you are. So you're breaking agreements in this stage of number two, breaking Absolutely. agreements with the lies you've believed, yep. rewriting them. Yep. Where is the power in rewriting? Because I think as Christians, we miss out on the power to rewrite and to walk in authority in our lives. Oh, yeah. You know, as a man thinks, so is he. It says that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. So if you want to become a different person, it starts with what you're thinking in your mind. What thoughts are you allowing to reign in your mind? You have to catch yourself. I always say, look for always statements or look for never statements. Oh, like I'm always late. Well, no, you're not always late. Don't define yourself that way. I have been late in the past. I'm going to make better choices to plan and prepare in the future, right? Mm -hmm. There's so much more power to that than to label yourself or I never, I never get uh, chosen for uh, winning something or, you know, I never get a promotion. And so when you define yourself or, or situations with always and never, they're, all, they're always and never right. <laughs> so they're always wrong and never right. <laughs> I like that. So you've moved through forgiveness and being heard and being seen, I think is so powerful mm-hmm. when people hear your voice and hear what you have to say about what has happened. And then there's taking responsibility for the lies you believed, rewriting them, coming out of agreement. Like you're saying, get rid of the labels that we've put on ourselves. What's number three? Number three is an area which I call soul spirit hurts. Use the example of an arm being broken, right? You can forgive the person that broke your arm. You can work through ungodly beliefs about your broken arm, like I'm clumsy or I'm always going to get beat up or whatever it is that you may have had. But at the end of the day, you still have a broken arm Mm -hmm. and you need that broken arm to be set and you need it to be put into a place where it can get healing. And so we can work through forgiveness and we can work through our belief systems, but we still have wounds Mm -hmm. and those hurts are real. Right. And so in the soul spirit hurts, I I've seen it done a number of different ways, but one of the things that I find very powerful is to go back into a memory and to actually invite Jesus into that mm-hmm. memory because he he's eternal. He's, he was there. Then he, he can show you where he was during that time and incredible healing has come to my heart as I've walked through that process of just looking back, seeing where he was, how did he feel about that situation? Because we, we accuse him without understanding that his heart was breaking, but that he does not intervene with human choice, Mm -hmm. right? He doesn't control people. So we've done things to hurt people and he didn't stop us and other people have done things to hurt us. And unfortunately they have the right to make the choice, but what is his response? And what was his heart for me out of that situation? So much healing has come. It's hard to describe because every situation is so unique, but I've led people through this process and I've been led through the process and just inviting Jesus into that brings such healing. Mm. I did have a time in my life when I'd cried out to the Lord about my mother, who was very cruel and unpredictable growing up. I had come to this cross in the road, if you will, where I either had to step out of this victimization or I had to forgive and move forward. And I was really upset with the struggle. I was telling the Lord, you saw what she did. You know what she was like. I can't believe you want me to forgive her. And the Lord said to me, I did see it, Sherry, and it broke my heart. It broke my heart to see what she did. But I have something different to say about that. I have some healing for that area of your life. And I do believe that God heals in layers. Has it been your experience Absolutely. to be healed in layers? Oh, yeah, like an onion, right? Yeah. yeah. And it's just like you get one layer off and then another layer comes and another. Absolutely. And sometimes the really, really deep stuff he can't get to until those other layers are That's dealt true. with, right? So okay. I always I always say the healing is a journey and not a destination mm-hmm. because it's something that we're going to continue to on this side of glory, we're going to continue to experience different levels of healing, but we do go from glory to glory. So that's good. 
So maybe it's just a continual drawing close to him to can keep you on a healing journey, keep you on the healing path. And the word says to uh, renew your mind every day. So that's a way, or at least it has been for me, of walking in his truth, walking in his uh, presence and not relapsing, if you will, and believing the value system that I used to have. You were sharing what they were doing as far as a method, and that was very helpful. Are there other methods you've seen, or do you feel like that one's probably the primary one that you've seen well, work well? That's the primary one, and I've seen different people approach it different ways. I'll give you an example. I, I Because I'm in business, after a while in, in my type of business, you need to hire a business coach right. that will help you to move forward because you mm-hmm. get to a level and then you need to get to another level, but you mm-hmm. get stuck, right? Mm-hmm. So I had hired a business coach. And at the same time I hired that business coach, I also started some counseling with a Christian lady. And the business coach wasn't a Christian. I mean, I didn't hire her for that. She, she was more like a soccer coach type person who became a business coach for women. And we were working through some stuff. And as we were working through, she said to me, you know, Kimberly, that issue came from the womb and there's nothing you can do about that. You're just going to have to find ways around it and develop strategies to get around that. And I'm like, I hear you and I don't hear you because I know my God and I know he can do anything, but she wasn't a Christian. So I just, you know, took from her what I could. Then I went to my Christian counselor and I said, okay, this is what my business coach said. And she's like, oh no, (laughs) that is not true. (laughs) Then we started doing some work. And um, so part of it is that my mother tried to abort me. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm grateful. I was born December, 1969 and abortion became legal in Canada just in mid 1969. So I kind of scraped by, by the skin Mm -hmm. of my teeth. So my mom in her attempts was not assisted, thankfully, Mm -hmm. um, because I wouldn't be here otherwise, but there's a lot of rejection that comes with that. And a lot of stuff you can imagine, right? self-hatred and blah, blah, blah. All that comes from there. In my counseling session with this lady, she actually had Jesus show me like, again, going back to that time. And I could, I could literally see myself in the womb and pulling away and feeling afraid and, and, and Jesus showing up. And the funny thing is then she said, what's next. And I went through the birthing process. And as soon as I was born in this vision that she was showing me, I was standing on my feet And I was ready for battle because of what Jesus had shown me. I kind of skipped through all the years and I felt strong and able to take on the world. And it was an interesting process. And I don't remember all the details now, but I remember that was a huge breakthrough. And I got to the next level of my business shortly after that. So that was pretty cool. (laughs) God uses anything that we will submit to him in to invite him into that memory or that thought and ask him, what do you say about it? This is what I feel. What do you say, God? Beautiful example of the power of God in a situation like that. Love that. Yeah. So number four. So number four is one that's a little uh, difficult to explain when, when some Christians will come from one grid and some will come from another and it's called freedom from demonic oppression. The idea here is that there are influences in even Christians lives, which are not great. Mm -hmm. And some people would say, Oh, well, a Christian can't be influenced by a demon, but the way that I look at it is Jesus himself says that he's given us, well, the apostle says that, but he's given us tools to demolish strongholds. And so the way I look at it is if our lives are a territory and that territory is controlled by King Jesus, Mm -hmm. and we have given our lives to Jesus there are strongholds within that territory that Mm. need to be taken down because inside that stronghold is actually demonic oppression. Mm. And so how do demons get in? Well, they get in through open doors of unforgiveness, of ungodly beliefs, of soul spirit hurts. So now that we've taken care of all of those, now it's time to kick the demons out. You've been comfortable here for too long, out, out with you. So that's kind of the idea of that. Is there a particular method to that? Everybody, and it's funny because I came from a very strict kind of Baptist background when I became mm-hmm. saved. And so mm-hmm. this was very new to me when I first right. went through the process. And I, I thought, you know, I'm going to submit myself to the process because I honor the people who are leading me through. They really loving and caring Christians. I wasn't really convinced that this was a thing, but mm-hmm. I thought, well, what the heck I'll do it anyway. I'll honor God by honoring them right. during my time with them. I had spent time explaining my situation and some, some of the things that 
came up, they had like a list of of influences that they had identified as being not so great. What they started doing is going through one by one and I would, you know, look them in the eye and, and I would say with them, you know, sexual immorality out. And I would just start doing this process. And I, I thought, okay, well, this is weird, but uh, I did it. And the funny thing is I became really convinced of the whole process shortly in because like, we're like, I don't know, three minutes in. And I just thought, I feel really sleepy. Like I just felt super sleepy. Couldn't keep my eyes open, even though just before that I was wide awake. And then they did something and they kind of got hold of that and kicked that out. (laughs) And then I feel this thing in my throat. And then it went from my throat to my head to my, and it was just like, what, what is this? You know? And so I started to understand that they didn't want to leave. Like they were getting all cozy, comfy in there. And I, mm-hmm. I need to make it really uncomfortable for them. Mm-hmm. And I needed to cooperate with the process and start to be aware. So we literally just kicked them out. We just said in the power of Jesus go right. right because right. they don't have any ability to stay. So that that's a process that, you know, some people are, are a little bit kind of confused by, but having experienced it a couple of times, I realize it's actually very powerful. I'm with you on that. There is demonic. And I do believe that the ability for the demonic to take a jab at you or to continually terrorize you is generational. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, and I know that gets kind of controversial too, as far as how to understand that. And I'm not going to be one to say that I understand that completely, but to look at generational curses and there's making choices on our own that we crack the door and Satan kicks it wide open. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, and this is, this is what we need to understand. I mean, you go back, you're talking about the garden of Eden and Genesis. If you look at that whole encounter in Genesis, what happened there? We have authority. Like God created us to have authority. Like there's a a verse that says the heavens, even the highest heavens belong to God, but the earth he has given to man. Mm -hmm. So we were given authority over the whole earth. And we were called to rule and to reign as like the uh, emissaries of heaven, right? Mm-hmm. We were meant to make the kingdom um, of heaven be here on earth. Thy kingdom right. come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's mm-hmm. the whole point. That's what we're meant to do. But what happened in the exchange in the Garden of Eden is the enemy came in, the enemy of God, and he had no ability to function, like mm-hmm. zero, right? until we gave him our allegiance. Mm. We gave him our authority. And Mm. how do we give our authority to the enemy by making an agreement with him? So Mm. this is why, and especially in today's day and age, I, I am always like catching fellow Christians and I'm saying, don't say that. Like, don't, Mm. you are the church. You are the Mm. ruling body of Christ. What you decree and declare with your mouth matters. Don't make an agreement with what the enemy wants to do. Make an agreement with what heaven wants to do. Amen. It's so important. And so breaking our agreement with the enemy is, is critical because Jesus said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he said, therefore go. So now you go with my authority and right. take that back. He got the authority back for us. It all comes down to relationship as far mm-hmm. as people in your life violated relationship with you, your trust, then you had to forgive these people. So there's restoration of relationship. Forgiveness does not mean reconciliation, but your forgiveness releases that relationship. And then there's the relationship with God and growing into healing and your understanding. And there's the relationship with yourself. So it all comes down to relationship. And that's really what Mm -hmm. Satan was after in the garden to break and destroy relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. He's always getting his foot in there. So it's important to come back to those tools to understand how we can walk in our authority that Mm. God has given us. How do we, we had it, we gave it away, but now we need to look to him to understand that authority again. Mm. Absolutely. I have often heard it said, if it's true in the natural, it's true in the spiritual. Do you connect with that in any way? I think part of that comes from like the Kabbalist writings that say as above, so below. And so that tends to be more of the new age would have really grabbed hold of that. But I I actually believe that the enemy can only create a counterfeit of something that's real. Mm. So it first came from God establishing a principle and then the enemy getting a hold of it. The whole point of the tabernacle being built is that when the plans were given, they were actually given 
of a, a semblance of something that already existed in mm. the heavenly realm. So they just manifested it in the physical, but mm. it already existed in the spiritual. When we talk about things happening here in the physical, things happen here in the physical because of a spiritual kind of parallel, so to speak. Okay. So yeah, I definitely think that that's a thing. And I think it's important for us to grab hold of that mm. because part of our job, I believe as as Jesus loving God honoring people is to look at what God is doing. I mean, Jesus said, I only do what I see my father doing. So we're meant to be looking at what the father is wanting us to do. Like, what is he wanting to do in the earth, mm. making an agreement with that and then making it manifest through our actions. Mm. That's definitely a principle. And that grows when our intimacy with God grows. Mm. So that's a good point. Cute. When you look back, what was stolen from you as a young girl? Intimacy, I think is a big one that was stolen. My my mom was very aloof and I never really knew what it was to be intimate. Mm-hmm. This makes me feel very emotional because I didn't, I didn't even understand what was possible right. in terms of feeling so loved and so accepted and so welcomed until I experienced the father's love. And even then it wasn't in an instant. It was over time. The more I've grown in my relationship with him, I feel an intimacy with him that I never even believed was possible or never knew somebody would want to have that kind of intimacy with me. So that's, that's a thing. Hope was stolen from me. Mm -hmm. Identity Mm -hmm. was stolen from me. A lot of pretty major things. Right. And then of course, family and fatherhood, like that relationship with a father. Yeah. Because a mother and a father is supposed to be Mm. our example of who God is. And when Mm. they're more human than we can understand or bear, then it really does put us in a position where we could choose to blame God for Mm. the actions and the brokenness of man and or woman. It sounds like you've lost a lot but God has restored these areas of your life. And is it a continuing process of restoration or have you hit some healing plateaus where you're just enjoying the presence of God and the freedom he gives us? Oh, I sure enjoy a whole lot of it, but I I don't think he's done yet. And yeah, he's restored because he's just that kind of God. I mean, he's the God of all comfort who comforts us in our troubles so that we can in turn then comfort others. And so my story has been able to bring hope to so many people that their past doesn't define their future. Mm-hmm. Um, my my course, Life More Abundantly, kind of came out of that. It's like, wait, why do we think that it's a foregone conclusion about where we're going to get to, right? Because where we've been doesn't define where we can go. And I, I'm a firm believer in spiritual principles and spiritual laws. And one of the laws is that if we appeal before the throne in heaven, the enemy has to repay sevenfold everything that he's stolen. So it's a real bad idea for the enemy to steal from me because I know the spiritual laws. <laughs> do you have any regrets that God has not redeemed or do you see it as part of the process of maturing in your understanding of who he is? I've done a whole lot of things that I wish I didn't do. That's for sure. And a whole lot of things have happened to me Mm. that I wish never happened. But I guess the reason why I have a hard time grabbing hold of that as being a regret is just because I am so convinced in God's ability to redeem and to restore. And I just know that he gives exceedingly abundantly above all I can ask or imagine. And so I, I know that I'm not there yet. I know that there's a lot more to come and there's areas of my life where I'd still like to see more breakthrough, more healing, some situations in my family that I would love to see right. God work in. They're not there yet. I'm really praying for God to break through and to work, but I, I have no, um, no doubt that God will make all things beautiful in his time mm-hmm. and that everything that has happened to me in the past, he will use to create beauty from ashes from ashes, right? So it's just that you can't lose. Through this process of maturing, healing, growing into good health and all, you do have a particular method of health and wellness. And you mentioned a class that you have. Mm-hmm. And this the class about the four stages of healing. Tell us a little bit about that. The course is called Life More Abundantly. And it started off as a customer education program. So in my business, I teach about natural health and 
what would happen is people would come to me and they would say, well, I've got diabetes and hypertension and I've got chronic fatigue syndrome and, and skin issues. And this is all the same person, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then they would say, and what oil can I use to fix that? And I'd be like, wow, you are expecting a lot of an oil and you don't understand (laughs) how the body works, right? How everything is tied together. And so I wanted to create a customer education program to give them a broader view of what it actually looks like to be whole and well. Mm -hmm. And in that process, it brought me to a place of reflection because I was thinking to myself, here I am. And at the time I was in my 50th year, I was about to turn 50. And I thought to myself, I feel more abundant in my physical health, emotional health, mental health, spiritual health, financial health than at any other time in my life. Was I just lucky or did I apply some truths and some principles mm-hmm. that other people could actually learn from? And the answer was important, obviously, because if it was just, well, I'm lucky, well, then it sucks to be you. Right. But if, <laughs> if it was actually principles that I learned that other people could learn too, well, then abundance is available for everybody. And then I was struck with John 10, 10, because John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, to kill and to destroy but I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And I realized I actually believed him. And that's why I have gotten to the place where I am, because I actually believe that that's what he came for. He came Mm -hmm. to restore all things, to make all things new. And so then I broke my course out and I, it has four parts, which is physical health, emotional health, uh, spiritual health, and financial health. And each of the parts is broken into some sections so that there's 10 parts in total mm-hmm. and people get to walk through 10 aspects of their life from what they eat to how they move their bodies, to what they think, to how they worship mm-hmm. and to create greater abundance in each of these 10 areas. That sounds wonderful. I'll have to look that up. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> when you think about a woman who might be listening to this podcast, is there anything that you want to share with her about healing or abuse or something that you'd want to encourage them with or something you'd want them to know? I want them to know that there's hope. And I want them to know that I believe in them. And the reason why that's important for me to say is because in my journey, I always felt like I was looking for someone who would believe in me. I remember really, really clearly being like 10 years old And I walked with my dog to the side of the road and I sat at the side of the road waiting for someone to discover me. Mm -hmm. And it's because I had heard TV shows, I watched TV shows and heard programs where, you know, this, this hidden talent was discovered and, you know, this girl was discovered and I thought, okay, I just have to wait for someone to discover me. (laughs) And so I remember walking and waiting and no one discovered me and people just drove by on the country road, probably wondering why I was sitting there on the country road and no one discovered me. And so I feel like the rest of my life, I was looking for someone to discover me, you know, like would someone please just tell me that I can do things and that, uh, and that there's, there's more to me than what most people see. And, and I realized that the person that I needed to discover me was God. Um, but also it's committed me to help people to understand that I believe in them. Like I really want people to know that I believe in them because if I can do it, literally anybody can do it. I had all the strikes against me. I had nobody that really expected a whole lot out of me. And yet I've created so much abundance because God believed in me. And I want people to know that I believe in them, that it's possible. It really is possible. Not only did God believe in you, but you believed that he was who he says he is and that he will do what he says he'll do. What a beautiful combination that is. Absolutely. Last question for our time together. Yeah. When you think about the darkest moments of your journey, was there anything that God spoke into that darkness that was beautiful to you? You know, the one thing that comes to my mind when you say that is something that happened before I was even a Christian. What happened is in the journey of trying to find uh, just a home that was stable, having left a uh, foster care home that was not really great and I, I wanted to leave. And then I went to live with my sister for a while and didn't belong there. I went to live with my dad for a while and didn't belong there. And so in this turmoil period of time, I remembered not having anywhere to go and 
um, my boyfriend, who is now my husband, my boyfriend at the time, he took me to a motel and I just stayed there for the night. It was like this cheap motel and I, I had nowhere to go. So I stayed there and I remember feeling very alone, very dark, very just depressed. And I took a shower, came out of the shower and I look on the mirror and written on the mirror was the words, I love you. And then I ran out into the hotel room and I thought, oh, my, my boyfriend must have come back and he must have written that on the mirror. He wasn't there. And I called him and he said, no, I'm home. And I realized at that moment, like it was a message to me from God. I felt, you know, like it could, there's lots of explanations of how it could have got there. But the reality is in that moment, I knew that God was telling me that he loved me. And that was before I even really had a relationship with him. Just knowing that even in that, even in that time before he says, before the creation of the world, I knew you, he knows us Mm -hmm. and his eye has been on us, each of us following us, caring for us, loving us, even before we even acknowledged him or knew who he was or cared about what he thought about us. He's been there. And I think that that really struck me as being super, super important. One of the beautiful things that I get to hear over and over again in these conversations is how God was calling, drawing, mm. making his presence known, even if it was not being received in the moment. Yeah. In reflection later, it's like, no, he was there. I remember this now. I remember that now. So the beauty of I love you written in the steam on a mirror. <laughs> yeah. At just the right moment when you get out and nobody else is around yeah. to take credit for that. Sounds yeah. like a love note to me. It sounded like it to me too, even before I knew God, but he knew me. I really hope that somebody else um, will look back and see the times when God was speaking to them mm-hmm. and they thought that they were alone, but they look back, they see actually that was him speaking. Is there anything that I have forgotten to ask you about anything that you wanted to add to the conversation? I'm just so grateful for the opportunity to share. And I really pray that my story has been mm-hmm. a message of hope to people yeah. Who are hearing it and that they see brightness in their future because God does intend for them to be led by the streams of living water to Mm -hmm. sit in the fields. He's such a good shepherd Mm -hmm. and he will restore your soul. And so I pray that you feel hope, that you feel encouragement and trust that God will bring the people into your life that you need along the way. But at the same time, remember that you don't have to wait for somebody to appear to find you or to discover you, or it's not going to be that maybe that one person that would just lead you because God really wants to be that person. He really wants to be that friend and take what you get along the way, the little partners that God brings, but understand that it's your journey with him and he will bring you to wholeness. We're going to part on that. That was beautiful. Thank you, sweet friend. I appreciate your time. It's so great to be here. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, A Life of Thrive, I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.